0: Please visit redemptionokc.com. We're in Acts chapter ten. If you've got your Bibles and want to look there, um, we are going to be jumping into and continuing the series and uh, the study of the Book of Acts. And as we do, uh, honestly, it's going to take a couple weeks to break to, to kind of walk through this. There's some uh, a ton of material here that we want to see and, uh, the, that's incredibly important. In fact, this is. Kind of the the center of the book of Acts. This is one of the most important chapters in all of the New Testament, and really in all the scriptures. In Acts ten, what we see we're going to see God work in the lives of two men, uh, one man named Cornelius and one man named Peter. And in the life of Cornelius, Cornelius doesn't know Jesus and needs to be converted to faith in Christ. Peter knows Jesus; he's one of the apostles. In fact, in uh, in Acts two and three, we saw Peter preach a message and preach the gospel. But what we're going to see today is that Peter needs to be converted in his thinking to a deeper understanding of the gospel. So, so Cornelius needs kind of a first introduction to the gospel of Jesus. Peter is going to need a deeper understanding of the gospel of Jesus. Cornelius needs gospel convert salvation. Peter needs gospel growth. And here's what's fascinating to me in Acts 10. In Acts chapter 9, what we saw was there's a man named Saul, and Saul was persecuting the church. And so Saul was going from one town to another, and he was going in order to take people captive and imprison those who trust, who who were followers of Jesus. And and along the way, God revealed himself and just broke into Saul's life and and blinded him, kind of knocked him off his high horse uh, figuratively, literally, spiritually, and revealed himself. And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. Immediately, Saul was converted into faith with Jesus. So here's what's interesting. If, if God could break into Saul's life like that and convert him with without any intermediary, but just directly speaking to Saul, why doesn't he do that with Cornelius? You get to Acts chapter 10, and what we're going to see with Cornelius is that God doesn't just break through and go, hey, Cornelius, I'm right here, dude. I'm the guy you need to know. Let me tell you about my son Jesus and convert you so that you do it. Instead, what God does was, is God's going to go through this long process of connecting Cornelius, having Cornelius send some dudes to go get Peter. Peter's going to come 31 miles to go meet with Cornelius. And then Peter's going to share the gospel. Why do you think God did, and went to all that? I mean, God could have, we could have cut out a couple couple chapters of Acts. You guys could have got through the series. You wouldn't have had to listen to me preach so much. Like, we could have sped this thing up. We could have fast-forwarded a little bit if God said, let me skip the whole Peter interlude and just jump in and just tell Cornelius directly who I am, and and we'd skip over that. I think there's an important reason. The reason is this. Peter had something to learn. That this wasn't just about Cornelius trusting Jesus, but in the midst of Cornelius learning about Jesus— God wanted Peter and all the other followers of Jesus to also learn something more about the gospel and about God's grace. And so uh, Lord is going to do this kind of remarkable work that takes place here. What we see in this is God wasn't just saving individuals. God was building his church. Friends, God's church is to be the people of God that's built upon the foundation of the truth of the gospel of Christ. That's the thing that unites us. That's the thing that brings us together. That's the thing that everything we do is built upon. And so that's the foundation that, that everything we do is constructed upon. And the problem, what we see in the, in the book of Acts, and frankly what we see a lot of times in our lives and in the lives of, our, uh, of Christians in our country is, the problem was getting the Christians to see the full magnitude of the grace of God so that they would let the core of the gospel break free from the acculturation that they had wrapped around. They needed to see the gospel of grace set free so that they could truly experience and the grace of God could do its work within the people of God. So let me read for you in Acts chapter 10. And we're going to jump into this chapter. And I'm going to start off just reading. uh, We're going to actually cover the whole chapter, which I know makes you nervous, but I'm just going to read the first 16. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who was known of the Known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people. He prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send these men to Joppa and bring one Simon called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called, the two servants, called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them who attended. And having related everything to them, he sent them away to Joppa. Now the next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened to him three times, and then the thing was taken at once into heaven. Now, it's an interesting story that you see kind of unfolding here, and it's a little bit confusing at, at first glance. You kind of wonder, like, well, what's the point? What God's getting at? Is he just saying, we're not supposed to be vegans? We're all supposed to kill and eat? Like, this is, that we're supposed to look like Ron Swanson, and we're all supposed to be meat eaters? That, that's not going to be the point. There's, a, there's actually a larger point that he's going to try to drive home. and has nothing to do with that whatsoever, but God is going to break in to Cornelius, and he interrupts Cornelius and says, I-, I want you to learn something more about me. And you're on the right path, but you need to keep going. You've got more to learn. And he's going to go to Peter, and he's going to also tell Peter, you've got more to learn. They both needed to grow in the understanding of the gospel. Now here's what's fascinating in the, in the kind of the, the pattern of the book of Acts. Uh, look with me real quick, if you would, in your Bibles, or if you've got a device, or maybe just mentally in your head, if you don't want to actually look it up. But to the table of contents, and I don't know if you've ever been told to look at the table of contents in church before. Uh, you may be wondering where all this is going, but uh, I promise you, there is a point here. When you look at the Bible, the Book of Acts comes late in the in the course of the Bible. When you begin in, in the Old Testament, which is Uh, the people of God under what was called the Old Covenant. God called out for himself a people of God. In the first book of the Bible, you see there, Genesis. God created people. He he sent them out in the earth, told them to go, be fruitful, multiply. You are the ones who will bear my image as male and female representatives, ambassadors of mine throughout the earth. Go, be fruitful, multiply. People sin. They stumble. God has to create a rescue plan. He does. Eventually, you get to Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, God takes an individual Abraham who does not have a child and he takes Abraham and he says Abraham through you I'm going to do a miraculous work not just are you going to have a child but I'm promising you there will be three things that will come to you three promises there'll be land I will give you and your descendants a land which you will inhabit there will be seed there will be people. There will be descendants that will that will fill be like the stars of the heavens or the sands on the seashores. That you will be more uh, you will be more numerous than than the stars that you can count. And there will be blessing that through this people, through the mediation of that land, there will come blessing that will be for He says all the families of the earth. So God takes this one man Abraham and says through your descendants they will you will multiply you will take possession of a a promised land. And then through that land and through my work, through your descendants, I will bless all the peoples of the earth. And that begins this kind of long process of what you see in the Old Testament. Now, what you see through the rest of the books is you go down those first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are called the Torah. They are God calling out and separating a people for himself. Uh, Leviticus In Deuteronomy, God gives a law, and he gives you all these very specific details. And what he's doing is he's shaping a people and says, you are not to be like any of the other peoples. You need to be separated from them. You need to be distinct from them. There are things that are unclean in this world, and you need to keep yourself pure and not become undefiled. And so God preserves, he takes them and rescues them out of slavery in Egypt, and delivers them across the Red Sea. They wander in the wilderness because they can't quite get their act together. Eventually, they're called to go into the promised land. That happens in the next book, which is called Joshua. In Joshua... God takes the people, and they go across the Jordan River, and they enter into the land that that God had promised them, and they begin to inhabit this land. The problem is that in the midst of this land, they're supposed to drive out all the enemies, and they're supposed to take complete possession of it and keep themselves protected and preserved and distinct from all the other nations on earth. Now in this, God has given them all these rituals. He's given them ceremonial law. He's given them dietary law. He's given them all these rules that were meant to serve as object lessons so that they would understand their distinctness and their uniqueness, and all of that had a greater purpose. It wasn't just to make them weird. The purpose was for them to say, you are not allowed, no one is allowed to enter into the holy presence of God in their own power, but they need to be preserved, and they need to be righteous, before the Lord before they can go and enter into the presence of the Lord so they're to create this people Uh, the problem is they never really they never fully get it do they so in the midst of Joshua they begin to sin and the next book is Judges the reason you have a book called Judges is because the people sin and when they sin God sends rebellion and so if they if they do well they receive blessing if they sin then they receive cursing and so there's this cycle of sin and repentance that happens so as they sin God punishes them they repent and say, they're, say, say Lord we've blown it and God sends a judge to rescue them and deliver them and you get this cycle of all the judges that happen and this ongoing pattern that takes place now they get tired of this after a while and they go uh, this doesn't seem to be working we want a king so they tell God we don't want you to be a king we want, a, we want an earthly king like all the other nations what's God do he says okay I'll let you try that and he gives them a king named Saul who looks very much like the kings of all the other nations which is not good and leads him into problem then god sets apart a king named david this king named david uh, that you see in the book of samuel samuel's the last judge and, and in this book uh, god c- comes and brings us this, uh, this king named david and says through the kings then i will mediate my covenant and i will bring about my blessing the problem is david doesn't have his whole life together does he He himself is sinful and commits atrocious sins his son solomon is is incredibly wise in some ways but also incredibly ignorant foolish in other ways. Uh, you begin to see the kings disintegrate and they begin to go off, get off pattern as well. Pretty soon the nation goes north and south. It becomes a divided nation. Uh, they, they are then carried off into captivity and so the land that God had promised that they would inhabit uh, through Abraham, now the, the, the people that, that were there are now carried off to Assyria, to Babylon, and they're exiled from their own land which they had been promised that they could live in. Uh, This is when you see Kings and Chronicles as you work your way through that table of contents. When you look at Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, all of those books are having to deal with God's people living in exile and trying to figure it out and being called home to come back to the land that God had promised them because things are not right. Uh, As you run through the rest of the Old Testament, and, and I promise you all this has a point. As you run through the rest of the Old Testament, you see the wisdom books and it's trying to tell the people of God how to live with wisdom and find life in the midst of a broken world. When you get to the prophets, it's God crying out to the people through his servants uh, and correcting them and trying to get them back in the right path so that they would no longer live within the brokenness and sin of their own lives, but that they would look to him and run to him. And eventually what it says is, you guys are not figuring it out. I'm going to have to send a deliverer, a savior, a rescuer, a messiah to come. And that leads us to the end of the Old Testament. You get to Malachi, and there's actually 400 years of silence where they hear nothing from the Lord. Now, if you're one of the Israelites, how would you be feeling about this plan of God, about everything that God had done? You've literally gone centuries. And I'm saying all this because sometimes we step in, and and if your life is like mine, you can see about this far in front of you. Like you pull up your, your phone and you're like, dude, what do I have to do tomorrow? And what do I have to do on Tuesday? And what do I have to do on Wednesday? And what are the biggies on this week that I, that I really can't screw up because I've got to make sure I do all the right things? And we can see about one step ahead. What we need to understand is what we're going to intersect today is something that's literally been unfolding for century after century after century. America's been around for how many years? About 250. For 400 years They've not heard anything in the scriptures from the Lord. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You get four books that all point to Jesus. The Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer. The, the Lord himself has taken up residence. He's become one of us. He's lived. He died. He rose again. And so there's this huge breakthrough that takes place when Jesus appears. And Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Remember what the promise to Abraham was? That there would be land, seed, and blessing. Through the seed of Abraham, through his descendants, blessing would come to all the peoples of the earth, and it would happen through the land. And so Jesus dies in Jerusalem, and he is raised again in Jerusalem. And what does Jesus say? That this temple that you built and everything in the whole Old Testament focused on the temple that was the center of the nation and the center of the city of Jerusalem. What does Jesus say? This temple, I'll tear it down. I'll rebuild it in three days. And they killed him for it because they didn't understand what he was doing. What he's saying is, all of that was ultimately pointing to me, is what Jesus was saying. So you get these four books of the Gospels. This new thing is announced. And this descendant of Abraham named Jesus, who's also a descendant of David, who could represent them as a king, who was the first king who could finally fulfill all the law and was sinless and did everything perfectly everything begins to change. Now after the Gospels, what's the next book in, in your table of contents? Acts. And you get to this chapter in Acts 10. And what you see is that everything was pointed to this. In this chapter of Acts 10, everything is going to turn on its head. And so everything that, that the whole Old Testament and all those books of the Old Testament you looked at, all of it was pointing to a, a single chapter of Acts 10. And this chapter, it's going to flip. And things are going, to, are going to change. So everything before was Jews and, and, and a remnant of Gentiles that were sort of mixed into the Jews as proselytes. It became like the Jews, but everything was focused on the Jews. And after Acts 10, it's going to turn and everything's going to begin to move to a church that's full of Gentiles with a remnant of Jews and Israelites that are attached to it. And everything changes here. From this point on, uh, what, what, look at the books that come right after Acts. You notice the names of those books? Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonians. Where are all those places? Each of those are letters to a, new, to a different group of people. Where are the people that these letters are to? They're outside of Israel, correct? These are letters to Gentile people because God is doing something different. If you were to put someone who is neutral, who had never heard anything about the Bible, and you were to sit down and, and explain this story to them, they would read this through if they read the whole thing and get to Acts 10, and they'd say, something important is happening here. Something amazing is taking place right here, and everything begins to turn, and everything begins to change in Acts chapter 10. So you ready to dive in and look at this? and figure out what's going on. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, Caesarea. Um, You go to everything here deals with the Romans. And so it's very much outside of uh, of Israel. But God is doing a new thing. And so you see that in Caesarea, there's a Roman prefect who lives there. Uh, there, There's heavy Roman presence. This is the central, uh, the capital of this Roman province. They, They actually had a temple dedicated to Caesar that was there. And you have this guy named Cornelius. Cornelius was likely a freedman. Which means that, that he was either a slave who had been freed or a descendant of slaves. And in fact, uh, there was a man named Cornelius that actually freed 10,000 slaves in that region. And they all took the name Cornelius in order to honor the guy that freed them from slavery. So, you know, you had a whole bunch of Cornelius's running around. Uh, but this was kind of a famous one. This was Cornelius the centurion who had this group of soldiers. A centurion means that he was over 100 soldiers. And so he was, he was a man who had a unit of about 100 men. Uh, his group was probably an auxiliary force outside the normal army. And so he was a special forces unit in some ways. But you had a unit of 100 men, a cohort of about 600 men, and a legion of 6,000 men. And this man, Cornelius, was the, the centurion over about 100 men and represented Rome, which would have meant he had incredible social status within the city. Now, what else do we know about this man? It says that he feared the Lord, which included his whole family. So he, he, he believed that there was a God, and the God that he sort of focused on was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the, the God of, of the Israelites. He uh, worshiped him in a general sense and included his whole family. Notice it says he gave alms to the poor. That was a requirement um, of the Old Testament law, was that you're to be generous and to provide and and to give uh, graciously and generously to those who have needs. It says he prayed all the time to the one God of Israel. So he was engaged in one of his regular times of prayer, uh, having a quiet time and kind of going through his normal routine of of prayer. In the midst of all this, God breaks in or an angel breaks in and he's terrified, which is what always happens when an angel breaks in. People are horrified because it's not a normal thing Uh, that if, if a giant spiritual being steps in and begins to speak to you that was not in the room prior but just appears it's a little bit unnerving and so he says he begins to ask what it is and what the angel says gives him all this levitical language it's interesting because all that comes straight from the old testament law and so this language he says your your prayers and the alms which you have given have risen up which is language out of the Old Testament that, that when they have offered sacrifices that it would raise up to the Lord. And so he's saying in some ways, man, you're on the right path. And he began to affirm kind of the direction he was. But then he said that he needed to take, three, take some men and send them and go get this guy named Peter. Now, here's what's interesting is uh, this angel that's sent by God actually affirms what's going on in the life of Cornelius which might make you think, well, is he saying Cornelius is, has everything he needs to know? Well, what we're going to see is he doesn't. He, he actually doesn't know the gospel. He actually doesn't know about Christ. The reason he's sending him to go get some people from Peter was he wants Peter to come and, and share the gospel with Cornelius. But he's saying to Cornelius, friends, you're on the right path. There's a there's a principle we see sometimes in the New Testament that uh, that we might call the more light principle. That he's saying that, that Cornelius has been faithful to move forward into the light or the revelation that he's received to that point he he understood this general idea of God he understood the general idea of being good he understood some light um, from the scriptures but he didn't have everything he needed so he needed to take the light he had and pursue it so that the Lord would give him more light and continue to reveal himself to them so then verse 9 what we see is God's taken Cornelius he says send some of your men to go to Peter Peter 31 miles away in a town named Joppa is praying and God makes another move. Uh, the fascinating thing about this entire chapter is that, that God initiates all the action. It, it's, it's interesting because God, God is the main character in the story. What, what we see is it's like we see the chessboard and we see the pieces moving, but we don't see the invisible hand that's moving. them. Cornelius, Cornelius is praying and God sends an angel. Peter is praying and God uh, breaks in and, and sends him a vision. And so Peter, in the midst of this, says he was hungry and he's smelling food. Uh, likely that's being prepared downstairs in that in that world uh, they would have kind of a, a rooftop experience and there'd be a, a stairwell that would go up and so likely Peter would go up on the stairway and he'd overlook the city and begin to pray and as he's there praying uh, the food the smells from the food that's being prepared underneath is rising up and he's a little bit hungry and God's going to, I think play off of that and sends Peter a vision and so he sees the the heavens opened up when it says the heavens opened up what he's saying is this is divine revelation. This is divine light that's coming to you, coming down from heaven above. And there's a sheet or a, maybe a material like a sail. It says there's four corners that have been bundled up and something's being lowered down. What's being lowered down? It's a whole bunch of animals. And in fact, the language here looks a lot like the language from Noah's Ark, the, that the animals there had been gathered up. Here all these different animals have been lowered down. It says all kinds of animals. Then it names some specifically. And what it wants you to understand and we don't see this because we're Gentiles living in America 2,000 years later. But what the Jews and what Peter certainly understand is that the animals that he sees are the ones that are considered unclean, the ones that were unfit, the ones they were have, to have nothing to do with. And God lowers them down. And what is the message that's given to Peter? Peter, rise, kill, and eat. It's pretty fascinating the way in which God has revealed this image to Peter. Peter's shocked. How's Peter respond? He just immediately just goes, no way. Right? No no way am I going to do that. Lord, Lord, I've, I would never, I've never been unclean. I've never taken anything uncommon. I'm never going to step in that direction. God, I know what your law says. I'm never going to rebel against your law. I'm always going to do the right thing, Lord. I would never do that. And what's God say to him? Peter, how dare you call what I've called clean common? How dare you contradict what I just told you to say. It says, what God has made clean, do not call common. Here's what's interesting. Peter thinks he's being obedient, doesn't he? Because everything in the Old Testament law, do you remember? I mean, there's a reason I walked through the whole Old Testament to you just a little bit ago. What Peter's saying is, Lord, for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, this has been the way it's been done. Everything was given through your ceremonial law. Everything was supposed to come this way. Everything was supposed to be understood or was understood as to what was clean and what was under, unclean. And we knew the categories and we had our system and we did everything just right and we worked this thing out so that we never made a mistake. God, we had this thing down. And God's stepping in and he's personally confronting or bringing something new to Peter. And here's what what's amazing is this is the arrival of an entirely new era in the work of God, isn't it? You ever been watching a show? It drives me crazy when it's a sporting event it's a live event, and you're watching it, and all of a sudden there's like a news break-in. If you're in Oklahoma, it's usually like a tornado warning. And honestly, you're like, I don't care. I just want to know who wins the playoffs. Like if, you know, just make the siren go off if I'm in deep trouble. But otherwise, leave my TV alone because I want to watch the rest of my game. And that's kind of what's happening here is Peter's he's like God I've got the show figured out I'm watching this thing I sort of got it under control and God breaks in with breaking news and says hey I want to interrupt your program for just a minute I've got new information I want to share with you and Peter's going no Lord just just keep that outside let me continue to watch the show the way I've learned to understand it and so uh, what friends do you ever find that to be true in your own life Sometimes it's just God breaks in and interrupts the nice, comfortable, peaceful way in which you've been doing things because he wants to teach you something new. Any of you get a little annoyed when that happens? Like, Lord, I thought we were doing okay. Like, I just thought I got this family thing figured out. I sort of thought I had marriage figured out. I thought I had my job figured out. I thought we were on a pretty good path here. And somehow God interrupts. And he's like, you "No, know, I think I want you to go over here and move to another city. And you're like, whoa. This is not what we agreed upon, Lord. This is not the way we do things. Lord, I, we had we had a good plan here. You and I had an agreement, and the Lord's like, no, that's just, I've got an idea of what I want to do, and I want you to learn something new. And he interrupts, and he breaks in, and begins to showing something else. Here's what happens for Peter. Peter understood the gospel in a personal sense, but he didn't yet understand the magnitude of what it meant on a, on a global scale. He, he still needed to learn more about what, uh, what, what it was that God was doing in the world, and... Friends, are there things that we need to understand even after years of following Jesus? That maybe you know Jesus like Peter knew Jesus, but there's still ways in which you need to grow in your understanding of the grace of God. This happens throughout our entire lives and we never really arrive. Friends, salvation's always more than thinking, but it's never less. Peter needed to change his perspective. He needed to see something new. Now, here's what's interesting is, this honestly should not have been completely new information for Peter. It feels like God's breaking in for the first time to tell him this. But you know what? If you go back and look at Mark chapter 7 in the Gospels, long before this happened, long before this occurred, uh, you have this interesting passage where Jesus is teaching and he's teaching the people and he's saying, he's talking about what is clean and what is unclean. He says, hear me all of you. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things which come out of a person are what defile him. Meaning it's not what you eat. What you eat goes in, it goes to your stomach and then you pass it. Like you get rid of it it 's it's, it's kicked out that 's not the stuff that actually defiles you what's Jesus say it's the thing that 's in your heart the thing that comes out of man, and the thing that 's in your heart that, that that begins to move outside of you that reveals what's broken on inside of you that's really the problem The unclean thing is not the stuff out there it's the stuff in here and what's fascinating is Mark in writing this book this in chapter seven says um it says, Do you, this is, he's quoting Jesus. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and it's expelled? And then there's this little parenthesis, right? It says, thus he declared all foods clean. Uh, here's what's fascinating. If you've got a red-letter Bible, uh, the first part of that statement was Jesus talking. And the red letters say, this was all Jesus. Mark Right? He wrote this gospel about 30 years after Jesus said it, probably. He went back and he put in this parenthetical editorial statement. And what, G- what Mark is saying 30 years after Jesus did it, Mark's looking back. He's looked at everything that's unfolded since that time when Jesus was resurrected. He started the church and all the things that happened. He looks back and he puts this little statement in here and says, Hey, now I get it. What Jesus said in, in, when, in, that, in that parable when, I was, when he was explaining what defiled a man, he was actually saying then that all the foods were clean. That it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of him that, that defiles him. And so what Mark was saying was, Jesus told us this, we just didn't get it. And so Peter in the book of Acts, when you get to Acts chapter 10, he had heard what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, right? He just didn't get it. It hadn't dawned on him. He did not realize. He had not realized the full magnitude of everything that he wanted him to say. And so that's why I think Peter, or God, instead of just saving Cornelius, sends Peter to go to Cornelius because he wanted Peter to learn something that was important for Peter to learn. Uh, now, verse 16, then I think there's something funny. How many times did this happen? It says it happened three times. Uh, can I get an amen? Wives, you feel that way with your husbands? It's like, I, I thought I asked you to. You know, it's all those things. Like, we, we do that with our family where we text all the time. We're like... Hey, did everyone take the trash out? Hey, did anyone feed the dogs? Hey, did like all the things that we know we're supposed to do, but you don't say, so you just keep saying it over and over and over. And that's what happened is God showed this image to Peter and we had this thing that descended from heaven, told him this whole message says, don't call what's unclean common. And then Peter's like, Lord, I'm not going to do it. And God's like, okay, let me try this again. Drops the thing down, shows him again. It's like, do not call what's... And Peter's like, no, no, Lord, I'm, I would never do that. And God's like, okay, you know, bring, like, do it again. Because... Friends, we're sometimes hard of hearing, aren't we? We're sometimes slow to understand. And, and, And I want this to actually be discouraging in one hand because you need to understand that we all have stuff to learn. But honestly, this for me is incredibly encouraging because this is my experience. And I've been walking with the Lord for a long, long time. And there's things that I still struggle with. There's things that I still miss. There's things that I still don't see. And, and then I come back to the scriptures and God, it's like he, he, he sheds light on them anew. And all of a sudden I go, oh, th- all those things were about this. Oh, all those times when I was butting my head against the wall and just running against the wall in there. like You were trying to teach me something and now I'm finally getting it. Can I get an amen? Can you relate to that at all? That there's things you do and you just, you keep trying, and keep trying, and keep trying, it's not working and finally you go, oh, God was trying to show me something all along and now I'm finally beginning to get it. So here we see is Peter, it's just beginning to get it. Verse 17, it says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen him might mean, um, I love that it's so honest. That Peter, he leaves that, that encounter with God. And it's not like he gets everything completely. He's walking away he's like, man, I'm still wrestling with this. Uh, can you relate to that? Are the things that you just have to ponder, you have to wrestle with, and they don't just go away like that? But they take time for them to settle in? I think that's the way the spiritual life works. Peter's been told to accompany these men without hesitation. So three men show up They say, come and go with me to um, go to meet this man named Cornelius. And he does. And so Peter goes and he has this encounter with Cornelius. Verse 25 says, When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And as he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why are you sent for me? It's a pretty interesting encounter, isn't it? So Cornelius, this Gentile Roman centurion, Romans were those that oppressed the Jews, this one that represented the face of Rome, Peter is, uh, is sent and told to go and engage with him. And what Peter says when he walks in is, you know this isn't very normal, right? He says to Cornelius, you know this is sort of off-limits. You know that my people are never supposed to do this kind of thing, and yet here I am. Here I am in the midst of your house. And Cornelius recognizes, in fact, in verse 33, what Cornelius is saying is, I sent for you as soon as God told me to, and you've been kind enough to come into me. So there's this kind of cultural tension that's that's taking place in the midst of this encounter where, where Peter's a little bit uncomfortable going, I'm uncomfortable being here. And Cornelius is going, I recognize that this is outside the norm and you're very kind to have stepped into my house and done this thing that's sort of off limits for both of our cultures. Uh, and so there's this encounter that takes place. Now why? And then Peter, he falls down before Peter. And Peter immediately lifts him up. What's Peter say? Because this is not just a throwaway comment. Peter says, I too am merely a man. What he's saying is, you and I are equal. That that I'm not superior to you. My race is not superior to you. My people are not superior to you. My obedience to the law doesn't make me superior to you. How does Peter know this? Peter's beginning to see, and the, the blinders are coming off his eyes. He's beginning to understand. Peter says, because God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And when did God show him that? Remember the vision? Vision was all kinds of animals, clean and unclean animals that came down. He said, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. But here, Peter says, I, God showed me that no people are common or unclean, right? See, God's working on a on a bigger principle. It wasn't just what is Peter allowed to eat? Is he is, is Peter allowed to grab some bacon? Is Peter allowed to grab some some lobster? Like, that, that really wasn't the point of what, what, what the vision was. The vision was that God is breaking through and is no longer doing something just for this nation of Israel, but he's incorporating all of the world and all the people to come into the people of God. There is not Jew and Gentile. There is not clean and unclean. There is one people of God that's saved by the grace of God. The one whom God has made clean is clean indeed. And if God has made him clean, then no man can argue against it. And this is the point that Peter goes on to make, and, or, or the point that it's making. You notice what Peter says when he opens up and begins to, to preach the gospel. He immediately says, God has shown me. And friends, there's things we need God to show us that we would fully understand the gospel. In verse 34 and 35, it says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so God is now moving to every nation he's inviting them all in. Friends, we're all saved by grace alone so that no believer can look down upon any other leader, but we, uh, any other believer. But we're to raise them all up and say, we all are mere mortals, but God has made us clean by his grace through the gospel of Jesus. And so we need to be clear. Uh, this doesn't mean that all people are saved. It means that all people may be saved by the gospel. Friends, we don't have time to unpack all this. We're going to get to the rest of next week but here's what I want you to understand. As we begin to look at this, uh, this kind of new thing that God is doing, uh, we see that, that Cornelius was was a good, moral, non-Christian who considered himself spiritual but not religious. He saw himself as a man who says that he was a God-fearer. He, he, he worshiped in a, in a general sense of, of the God of the universe, um, that, that he was a kind man. He, he offered generosity and and gave alms to the poor that he was a spiritual man meaning he prayed regularly even though he didn't go to the temple and didn't participate in everything and yet he still needed to know the gospel of Christ and so Peter begins and says that big uh, and begins to affirm what who Cornelius was but then he goes on and begins to preach the good news of Christ and you notice the message that that Peter gives there in Acts chapter 10 if you get down to the end of the chapter in verses 34 and and beyond. And he says and he really just gives Jesus was a historical figure that lived amongst us and was from and was God's anointed savior. His life and his works testified to God's power and his presence in him. Jesus died a horrific death. God raised him on the 3rd day. He was visibly seen by hundreds after that. And he gives a special gospel invitation or call at the end as you get down to uh, the end of Peter's message. It's fascinating because he says to uh, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness, meaning all the Old Testament, that everyone who believes in Him and receives forgiveness of sin through His name, and so He testifies to God's goodness and to the good—I mean—to Christ's goodness and the forgiveness of sins that comes through Him. Uh, do you see what's happening as we kind of make our way through the Bible from Genesis all the way to Acts, and as you move forward from Acts chapter 10, this gospel is going to scatter. And it's going to spread throughout the whole earth. Just as Acts 1 said, you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And it's to begin to scatter. And so Peter preaches this message to Cornelius. And Cornelius responds in faith. Now, friends, we're going to unpack this a little bit more next week. But what happens in verse 44 is that while Peter is still preaching, the Holy Spirit descends and says it falls upon Cornelius and all of his family. What God says is that as Peter is preaching, and he says that everyone who believes has forgiveness of sins, that Cornelius believed, and the Spirit fell, and he was saved. And so the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And what Peter is going to say is, if then God has descended and affirmed the faith of this man, who am I to stand in the way of anyone coming to faith in Christ? And friends, that's where we want to be, right? Is that good news for us? that we can have forgiveness of sins through the one Savior which prophesied long ago who has come. We can have new life in Him, Uh, that there is no one who cannot be saved by His grace. We pray for us. Father, I pray that in the midst of a crazy passage and trying to get our brains around clean and unclean, that you would help us understand that the one that you have made clean through Christ is clean indeed. Father, and that there's nothing that anyone can do to stand in the way of your work. Father, that you have called us to yourself with an invitation that says anyone who believes in him might experience the forgiveness of sins and have peace with God. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know, Father, maybe they are maybe they believe in God. Maybe they, they're kind and good. Maybe they do all kinds of generous, generous things that are Father, maybe they they even pray from time to time. But, Father, if they don't know Jesus, if they don't know his death and his resurrection, if they don't know the forgiveness of their sins, if they do not have his spirit, Father, would you make them to know it today? Father, we pray through Jesus for his glory. Amen. We'll mm-hmm. be